One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We wish you a very good morning on this Thursday morning and it was lovely to wake up this morning and see a clear blue sky out there. I know there's some rain forecast for a little bit uh, later on but the good news is looking ahead to next week uh, temperatures are really starting to go up and we're going to have a really nice week of weather with some reasonably high temperatures as well so we certainly will look forward uh, to that. Now John Paul uh, takes your calls this morning at 1850 and you can always text our WhatsApp 0862103103 and of course the email address Patricia at c103.ie always available to you and I'm going to start with an email and it's a birthday request for a great old friend of the programme Mary Colletty from High Street in Newmarket celebrating her birthday uh, today. Happy birthday to you Mary and your family have been on to tell us about your special day and wanting and hoping that you have a lovely lovely birthday. Your daughters Rosari and Marguerite son-in-law's Derek and Sean and not forget all of the grandchildren James and Grace and Abby and Lily and Casey and May and uh, Paddy and she's a big fan of uh, C103 happy birthday to you Mary and I also want to congratulate and I'll do it now for fear that I forget it the wonderful Dunmore House Hotel in Clonakilty because they have just been awarded the Just Ask Restaurant of the Month for May now that award is selected by the food writer Georgina Campbell along with Board Bia and the Just Ask Restaurant of the Month. It rewards eateries that exhibit best practices in showing transparency in the sourcing of the food on their menus. So well done to Dunmore House uh, Hotel, which of course is a family business. They're on, it's a fourth generation family business and it's been operating just outside Clans since 1948 and they do use a range of high quality ingredients from all around County Cork. And it's a hotel, Dunmore House Hotel is uh, popular with locals and visitors alike. So congratulations if you're popping into Dunmore House Hotel uh, across the weekend. Make sure that you congratulate all of the staff. And one of our listeners uh, has written to me this morning, letter arrived uh, with a very kind donation. and just to acknowledge that it arrived safe and sound and it's just simply entitled Elizabeth and Elizabeth writes to me and sends on a donation for the young mother that I spoke about that we met last weekend on my visit to Belarus and it was a young she's a young mother of three boys who had 
was one of the orphans that used to come to the North Cork area from when I think she first came when she was eight uh, right up to when she be, was 18. So she came for about 10 uh, years and uh, she was lovely, lovely young girl and she got to sample what family life should be like and she used to look forward every year to coming back to Mallow and almost sort of times like like home for her. And she was one of the young adults as they are now that we had listed to go and see when we were over there checking up to see how they were all doing and we had had indications that she wasn't doing too good and we were quite shocked the conditions were even worse uh, than what we thought Um, and she's living in a really really dire poverty with her her three young sons it was just it left us all a little bit shell shocked I think when we walked away from her home that day but we were straight away able to help her because we brought fundraised money uh, with us and through the kind generosity of so many people like we discovered she didn't have a cooker and she had what looked a little bit like a kind of a deep fat fryer sort of a thing that she was using for cooking and it was just dreadful to see so we managed to get her a cooker and she had some bills that needed to be paid off and and we've done that and we've since got a photograph of the cooker and it's going to be installed in the house and it will make a a big, big difference to her life. And also there's some good news in that uh, we're hoping to get her moved out of this squalor that she's living in. And it really is squalor. I have a photograph of the toilet that I even find hard to look at. It was so bad. But she's going to move, hoping to move her into, it will be an apartment, but um, better conditions for her. So we're going to need to give her a little bit of support when when she moves. So thank you to, as I say, with somebody who just signed the donation uh, Elizabeth and said the very sad description of that young mother who was living with her three children in dire uh, poverty um, so we'd be grateful if, if you could pass on this small donation so we thank you thank you for that and uh, it certainly will be well spent and I will make sure that it gets to her uh, because I have a really good contact of somebody in Belarus who's going to keep in contact with this young mother on our behalf. Now, coming up on the programme today, a lot to get through. We're going to be speaking with two first-time candidates who will be running in the uh, local elections. And of course, the local elections and the European elections and don't forget, there's also a referendum. And if for people in the city, they also have a plebiscite, they have four different ballot papers. What confusion there's going to be. It's only two weeks tomorrow to election day. And all of the posters are up right across the city and uh, county. But some of the posters are being vandalised. Now, I don't know if this is something that happens at every election. Or is it happening more for this election than ever before. I don't know. I suppose we need to find out from some of the older, more mature politicians who are not on their first time out, who've been, you know, on the hustings for many, many elections in the past to find out from them. Are they noticing that there's more posters being vandalised this time or is this something that just happens all of the time? But we've decided to ask two first-time candidates because they're new to the game and tell us what's happening with their posters and uh, we'll be be speaking with them um, in in a couple of minutes on the programme. And actually, Pat O'Regan has contacted me by WhatsApp to say he's running as an independent. He's a first-time candidate. He's in the band in Kinsale area and he was one of... The few, and I'm, I'm saying few because I think it's only a handful, who made the decision, even though it's his first time out, not to put up posters. He's doing it purely for the environmental reason. And he actually says in his message to us, there's enough rubbish out there already. And he feels, he believes door to door canvassing and social media works better for uh, him. 
And that's Pat O'Regan running on his first time out because a lot of candidates running first time out feel it is important to put posters up to get their name, to get their faces uh, out there. I mean, before the posters went up this year, we were hearing both sides of the arguments. Should we just have a complete and utter ban on posters? And actually, deep down, many of the politicians themselves, I think, would agree that they would like a complete ban on that nobody puts up posters but as, but in order for that uh, to happen you need all of the candidates to agree and some of the candidates feel that if they don't put their posters up and everybody else in the area is putting their posters up they feel that the other people have an unfair advantage over them so that's one of the reasons that there's been a number of candidates have called for this unilateral ban and wasn't it the city councillor Ken O'Flynn who we spoke with a number of weeks ago and he had suggested what ha- which, which is what happens in other countries where every town and city and area would have a designated place where posters could be put up and everybody gets has to have the same size poster everybody puts up one poster and you can you know put up details of what you're standing for etc so if people want to go along and have a look at all the lovely faces of the candidates who are running you would go to a designated area like in a town square or in a town park or you know uh, and that that's the way it works in other countries but you get them off the poles and, and you would get them down and you wouldn't have them some people feel they are a blight of the environment to see so many of the posters up. Anyway, I just don't like to hear of vandalism going on, particularly for the first time candidates, because it's, it's a bit of a shock to the system, to them, because I assume when they put up the posters, they're not thinking that anybody would be going anywhere near their posters. But that's unfortunately not what is uh, happening. We are going to be speaking with Thomas Duffy. Who's Thomas Duffy? He is the president-elect of Knockrit Affirm. They have their AGM this weekend. So he will take up the role as a president of Mocker and Affirmer. So we join him in advance of him taking up the role because he is talking about the battles they have getting new members. Now we've often spoken and continue to speak on this programme about rural isolation uh, and how important it is for people who live in rural areas to get out and about to get involved and then we will hear from people saying that there's nowhere for them to go when they get to a certain age. What are they going to do? What are they going to get involved with? And anyone who's ever been a member of Mocker Affirma will tell you it is a wonderful, wonderful social organisation. It's educational uh, as well, but it can be a wonderful social organisation. But it seems they're battling because more young people are deciding to stay at home and getting, you know, on Netflix, I think was one of the apps that have been mentioned and on their social media. And while all of those apps and social medias, you know, can have great advantages, they can have disadvantages as well. If all you're doing is sitting every night you know, scrolling through your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter feed or spending all your time watching box sets on Netflix. Netflix. You're not getting out and about. You're not socialising. You're not meeting people. So Macro are trying to do something about that to encourage more young people to become members. And there's Macro groups all over the country. There are new guidelines have been issued for nursing homes and this is giving residents consumer rights. And I suppose when you think about nursing homes, consumer rights isn't something that jumps jumps to mind as the first thing of thinking, you know, what are my consumer rights as a resident of a nursing home? So these set of guidelines have been drawn up and I know this week nursing homes right across Cork are receiving the guidelines and it the guidelines are all to do with the contract of care that any resident going into a nursing home signs are 
if they're not capable of signing, their family members will sign on their behalf. But it seems a lot of these contracts can be full of jargon and they can be a little bit of confusing uh, for people. And it can lead to, particularly when it comes to top-up charges. Now, top-up charges at nursing homes are something we certainly have addressed before. Age Action would be very strong on this. And they've done surveys where they've asked people, you know, if you have a loved one or you are in a nursing home, how much are you paying in top-up charges? And it can be from as low as paying a euro a week it can go right up to paying €100 Euro a week. And normally it's for things like social activities, but it can also be used for things like incontinence uh, pads. We heard at one stage, I think it was Age Action came out with it, where a visually impaired man was being charged every day for a newspaper when he obviously couldn't read the newspaper and the family got very upset about that. So there needs to be clarity around these top-up charges and extra fees that are above the fair deal. And of course, families are in that position that if they get their loved one into a nursing home and, you know, nobody goes into a nursing home, uh, you know, everybody, there's a lot of soul searching goes on before somebody either themselves volunteers to go into a nursing home or a family make the decision that mom or dad or whoever it is no longer capable of looking after themselves needs to go into a nursing home. It isn't a decision that's taken uh, lightly. It can be hard sometimes to get a nursing home in your area or a suitable nursing home. And when families do find a nursing home there has been cases where they're afraid to complain so they signed this contract of care it didn't go down through the fine print then discovered that they have to pay an extra 100 euro a week top up charge family are scrambling to come up with this money fearful of going in and making the complaint because they're fearful that mammy might be evicted out of the bed and might be told to move off somewhere else and the family knowing there's nowhere else for the mother to go so that's you know there, there are. I can see how and why there would be issues around family members not feeling confident enough for to complain. So the consumer, these consumer rights are to try to get around all of that, so that when a family have a loved one who gets who gets signed in or not signed in, but goes in to live in a nursing home, that everybody's clear about what the possible costs can be. And another one, you know, what happens if you've got a loved one in a nursing home? And you're paying these additional top up charges and you've signed up under fair deal. So the fair deal will kick in uh, when your loved one is uh, no longer needs the space and the bed in the nursing home. But what during the course of the care, the loved one ends up in a hospital? And that often happens. You know, somebody can become very unwell. Nursing home, they need to be admitted to hospital and they can be in hospital for a week, two weeks, three weeks, even longer are families still paying the top-up charge? What actually happens in cases uh, like that? What are your consumer rights around situations like that? So th- so issues like that and more is what we will be discussing on the programme today. But your thoughts and comments welcomed if you do have a loved one in a nursing home or you were a nursing home resident listening to us in the nursing home. Do you have concerns around charges or around your contract of care? Do you understand the contract of care that you actually signed when you became a resident? It's Thursday. So do 
do regular features on the programme. A member of Rangar, the Shia Corner, will join us for this week's uh, Crime File. And also on a Thursday, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, will join us. So if you've got pet questions, get them in to us, please. Now, I don't think there is a poll across the country that isn't adorned with at least one election poster as the countdown to the European and local elections continues. But it seems in West Cork, some skullduggery is going on with local election posters. Joining me, first-time candidate Holly McKeever-Carnes, who is running in the Bantry West Cork area uh, for the Social Democrats. Now, we were also hoping to speak with Dermot Brennan, running in the Bantry Kinsale electoral area, but he is a teacher. And um, it looks like he wasn't able to get cover in his classroom because we're bringing in, he's not answering the phone. But Holly McKeever-Carnes joins me. Uh, Good morning to you, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. Um, Holly, you had somebody go to great lengths, really, to take down one of your posters and erect it somewhere else. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so it was the the first um, night the posters went up and overnight um, one poster was taken down from the Bantry side of Derris and uh, driven out to the other side of the village and screwed into a beautiful old tree in a graveyard upside down. A a big poster? Uh, average size poster, I would say. The standard ones you see up on the on the poles, yeah. is it? Yeah, exactly. So they 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 took it down, and I mean, would they have needed a ladder to get it down? Yeah, initially, um, when I wrote in the, in the campaign WhatsApp group, a girl from Jarris contacted me on Facebook and said, um, "You know, I think it's inappropriate that you put your poster upside down on a tree in a graveyard." <laughs> um, and I said it in the campaign WhatsApp group, and I thought it was probably just. Um, reckless drunks or something but um, then the, the, the campaign team were saying probably not with a ladder and a cordless drill so yeah, yeah. yeah. they went to some effort yeah. yeah and then to it's disrespectful as well to put it inside in a graveyard isn't it absolutely yeah I think it was shocking and simultaneously kind of not surprising in some ways because there's always a minority in society that has a kind of aversion to change and in some ways I think that doesn't deserve the airtime it gets yeah, I say live on the airways. Yeah, I know. I know the point you're making. And have you? It is a minority. Yeah, but is have you had other posters go missing, or is this just the one? Um. Yeah. No, I had other ones go missing as well. So I suppose that one didn't go missing. It just moved. Um. Yeah. And I had. Um. I think about fifteen other ones go missing. How many posters did you put up in total? Um. Under a hundred. Um. So yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that I'm not a fan of posters. Okay. Um, if elected, um, I'd push for a one-poster board in each town and village. Um, but until then, they're kind of a necessary evil, especially for first-time candidates. You need to get your name and face out there. And we could even see the numbers jump up on Facebook follows and likes and stuff when they went up. But they're not the future. They're not a sustainable way of campaigning for local elections. And and they're costly as well. They're, I mean, they don't come cheap. Yeah, I think they're seven euro poster, so um, it requires a lot of fundraising or putting your own funds into it. And yeah, it's not sustainable. And um, we definitely need um, an alternative. Um, unfortunately, until then, we have to use them. Yeah, because you you're on the the opinion that as a first time candidate, it's, it's trying to get your name out there. I mean, I don't know if you heard me earlier when I mentioned it. Uh, Pat O'Regan, who is running as an independent in the Bandon Kinsale uh, area, he as a first time candidate took the decision not to put up posters um, on the environmental uh, reason for it. But there's always that argument that you're putting forward that as a first-time candidate, 
you need to get your name and your face out there. And what a better way to do it than by posters? That's absolutely it. Um, I think, you know, to use them to get in, like I say, it's a necessary evil. And I think we need to uh, to vote based on who's going to do more to um, promote anti-plastics initiatives and stuff when they're in um, and kind of understand that they do have to be used for first-time candidates. Um, I thought about it a lot. It was a difficult decision to make. Um, I'm very much opposed to the plastic factory in Skibreen, for example, and the harvesting of the kelp and very much care about the environment. Um, and I think with perspective, the worst part of my poster incident was being nailed into a into a tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like many people around here, I do care about the environment. Um, but yeah, I would very much be of that opinion that um, unfortunately we have to use them, particularly starting out in politics. Did you report it to the Gardaí? Somebody wants to know. I actually didn't. No. Um, yeah, I suppose um, I should have and maybe still still could. Um, I suppose I'm so new to politics. Um, I'm learning it as long as I go along. Yeah. I did expect some skullduggery as you described it um, with the posters, but I suppose, yeah, I didn't expect something like that to happen. And um, any idea who did it? Did anybody see anything? Um, no. No. Have you your own suspicions without naming any person, um, people, parties? I suppose when I say I don't think it deserves the airtime, I don't think it deserves the thought space either. Um, I'd rather focus on the campaign and, um, yeah, I mean, and why I'm standing for election. I think there's um, a lot of potential and a lot of it's being squandered at the moment. Um, like a lot of people who grew up here, I left um, West Cork after school and moving home is hard. Um, so I feel like we can do much better to, to support young people here and support people to move home. Um, and I'd rather focus on those aspects. And did you did did you move you moved away and moved home? Did you? Yeah, I left after my leaving cert, um, like a lot of people, and um, I was gone for about eight years. And I worked abroad, mainly in disability support services. And about four years ago, um, I moved home to take on my family farm and business, Brown Envelope Seeds. Um, yeah, and it was upon moving home, I suppose. I got home, all my friends and family are gone. Not yeah. all, but you know. The a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I suppose I'm sick of complaining about it. I thought it was time to, to try and do something about it. Um, like at the moment, it's hard to even find a house to rent, for example, in Bantry. And at the same time, we're falling over abandoned houses. Um, there's so much that can be done to improve the standard of living here. I think for everybody. And when um, you when you were when you were away, and um, I'm assuming you would have met other people who had moved away as well. Did did you always have the view that you would come back? And when you spoke to others, is there that sense we will go home one day? Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that. And the more I lived abroad, and I lived in so many different countries, um, in you know, America, Malta, Greece. Spain, the UK, and the more you live abroad, I think the more you appreciate West Cork. And I think you know it depends where you're from around as well. It's not like West Cork has so much potential, and um, you can see things like the Tidy Towns Initiative in Bantry at the moment, the Jazz Festival in Valley of the Hobbit the weekend. Like these are all fantastic platforms to build on, and we need that buzz here. You know, we can be so proud in West Cork that it's home to some of the best cultural events in Ireland. Um, my dad found the West Cork Literary Festival. My mum found the Skibreen Farmers Market. So I think the importance of festivals and building West Cork communities is ingrained in me. And I think we need to bring young people into those discussions um, to try and bring people home and bring new ideas and fresh vision into West Cork. 
Okay. And and make it a place that people can move home to because you're right. You're absolutely right. They do want to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in the meantime, can people leave your posters alone, please? And I'm assuming <laughs> as soon as the election is over, Holly, you'll be out there taking down the posters, including all the cable ties? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I did manage to find um, recyclable um Table size. Did you? Well done. Well done. Yeah. Okay, Holly, thank you. Thank you for that and, and good, uh, good, good luck in the uh, election. Um, Frank Roach in Castletown Roach says, also affected by this as well. He says, I'm paying for my own posters and running my own campaign, running as an independent. I do not blame other candidates or parties. All of us are ringing each other, telling each other that the posters are uh, damaged. John O'Sullivan, uh, Councillor John O'Sullivan is running in the Bandit Kinsale area. He joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Are you having similar problems with your posters? Yeah, a number of them, yeah, but I, I suppose it's par for the course electorally, you know. But it, the very interesting point that, that pieces I have on it is that I was sent a CCTV clip last night of a person at seven minutes past three in the morning driving past the pole, seeing the poster, reversing back, uh, getting out of the car, taking down the poster, putting it into the boot and, and taking it away. Clearly identifiable. Mm, yeah, I suppose with a little bit of work, it is identifiable, all right, yeah. But the 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 big the big problem that I have with this is that in the event that a number of those posts are taken away like that and they're put up somewhere else, yeah, yeah. After the after the election, we could be liable for fines yeah. for having having posted up after the time. Yeah, and that you know that's always the fear factor. And yeah. I know, and I guarantee you, it'll happen again. I know in the weeks after the election, we will get calls in from people saying that so and so's poster is somewhere up a pole, and we normally contact them. And inevitably, we've heard over the years uh, the person say, "I never put a poster in that area." Somebody well, else I mean, has done it after the last election. I was very clear there was a, an election poster blank to the Healy Rays appeared on the road. There was, there was, there was. You know, so, but, but that's it, a bit like moving statues. That's the Healy raised. You know, they work yes. in they work in very mysterious well, uh, ways. I'm absolutely certain they didn't put that up no. there anyway. You know? <laughs> no, but it, the reality is that, like that's that's the big issue that could be there for all, all candidates afterwards, which they have no control over. Is that a poster could be put up in the poll somewhere and they'd be liable for a fine, if, which which I suppose under the law is, is correct, and we'd have no, no control at all over it. And that, that's that's a worry coming down the line, you know. But if people are attacking your posters is it a sign that you're, they're running scared I don't I don't think so no, no I, I, the one the, the interesting point on that and the CCTV seven minutes past three in the morning since it was done so it was midweek it wasn't weekend so that it uh, it looks like somebody was out there just either collecting them or whatever I, I've seen a story there during the week of a guy that has I don't know how many thousand uh, election yeah posters. he's been collecting them over years but over he's been years. I think he's been legally collecting them though I don't think he was I, I don't think he was the, and I'm sure like I mean there, there has been a lot of concern about posters over the time I have never actually dumped the poster you've kept them in the, time, the schools use them for blackboards or whiteboards or different things and there's always requests from, from them so they're, they're always used again if, 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 if I've no more use for them I, I've never actually dumped a poster in all the years I've been around you know and your message is if somebody would like one of your posters after the election you would be more than willing more to, than, to than willing, and, pass one on absolutely but I, I would be concerned and, and that's for all candidates and, yeah. and of parties and none that, that they could become liable for something down the line 
uh, we still have no control okay. all over, you know. All right, John, listen, right. thank you for that. Thank you for your call. And because we are just a little over two weeks out from the election, uh, anytime we have candidates on from a particular local electoral area, we are required to call out the other candidates that are running. So Councillor John O'Sullivan, uh, who we heard from there, is running in the Bandon Kinsale local electoral area, along with Dermot Brennan of Fianna Fáil, Alan Coleman, non-party, Gillian Coughlin, Fianna Fáil, Noel Harrington, Sinn Féin, Cormac Hayes, non-party, Kevin Murphy, Fianna Gael, Sean O'Donovan, Fianna Fáil, Pat O'Regan, non-party, uh, Marie O'Sullivan, Fianna Gael, Gordon Reid of the Greens, Mairead Rowan is running for AN2 and Gerard Seaman is running for Fianna Gael. They were all in the Bandinghin Sale local electoral area. And we also spoke with Holly McKeever Carnes. Holly is running in the Bantry West Cork local electoral area. Also on the ballot paper, uh, Independent Danny Collins, Lorraine Dean Ross of Aonthu, Fianna Gael, John Deneen, Fianna Fáil, George Gill, Fimber Harrington, non-party, Noel Harrington of Fianna Gael, Katie Murphy runs for Fianna Gael, Patrick Gerard Murphy for Fianna Fáil and Donica O'Shea for Sinn Féin. That's in the Bantry, West Cork, local electoral area. 1850-333-103, lines open. Rod Stewart is ready to rock Cork on May 25th. And C103 is celebrating with a massive cash giveaway. Win €3,000 with the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Stay listening for these three songs. Song 1. Song 2. Song 3. When we play them uninterrupted and in that order, be caller 103 to win 3,000 euros. Remember our number, 1850 333 103. The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Only on C103. Now, streaming apps and social media, while having positive benefits, can cause people living in rural areas to become more disconnected. That's according to the incoming president of Macron Affirma to discuss how you compete with the likes of Netflix. I'm joined by Macron President-elect uh, Thomas uh, Duffy. Good morning to you, Thomas. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Now, you're not saying the apps actually cause loneliness, but you feel they're a symptom. Ex- explain what you mean. Yeah, so I suppose um, the, the point I was making about the um, the general trend towards isolation and using using technology as a substitute for real personal connection. I mean, we see this. Um, one of the one of the most worrying trends that's been highlighted by uh, healthcare professionals has been the so-called epidemic of loneliness and the the issues that that can have and the way that's spreading throughout uh, the entire developed world, but but in particular in Western Europe and America. Um, and I suppose. My my point was that people are increasingly, um, particularly young people, are increasingly becoming isolated from their communities for a whole host of reasons. I don't believe that that the likes of Netflix or even social media are actually driving these um, you know, dis- disconnect. Instead, there's there's a multitude of factors, you know, from uh, the, the general general apathy, um, concerns about about uh, guilting, and also a a you know a, a, an extreme amount of pressure on young people both to conform to a, a, 
fantasy essentially that they are seeing on on social media and and putting their entire lives up there and also the the general struggles that a lot of young people are having in terms of economics in terms of uh, you know getting stable employment and and the benefits from that and and housing and is what kind of membership numbers do you have at Mark and Affirma? so we'd have we'd have uh, over 7000 members we would. Um, is that up members. or down in previous years? Is it? No, it, it would be it would be up slightly. Um, okay. But the uh, the general trend is good. But but we are seeing it is becoming more and more difficult to recruit members for um, I suppose for active participation. Um, it's it's much more difficult to get people young people in, involved in activities. Um, now we have uh, as I as I said in the piece. In reality, a lot of our recruitment actually comes from members. Members recruit members. Um, you know, we do use social media. We do use advertising. We, we obviously we're a young people's organisation, so we're we're clued into all that. Mm. You know, Twitter and Facebook and those sort of things. But in reality, the the, the point um, is that members are the people that are making the personal connection, getting people into our organisation. And um, there's nothing like that than somebody saying, "Why not come along with me to this meeting or whatever it is." Yeah, exactly. And generally, what what I'd say to, to members, if you're going to recruit, you know, get someone's phone number, don't text them, give them a ring, or or better yet, if you know them reasonably well, call up to the house and go, sure, come on, you're you're doing nothing this evening, sure, we'll, we'll go to such and such event. I mean, we have incredible events in Mocker there, the likes of the, the festivals. We have we have three um, major three female personality festivals and one, one male personality festival. Incredible things. I've seen um, I've seen the personal development of members in my own club. You know, you have people coming in the door there who are so shy, are so reclusive, are so isolated that they they are nearly not willing to speak in a meeting at first. And by the time they're in it a year, year and a half, they're up on stage performing oh, in one of our one of our things. Or uh, one of the other personal developments that we really see is a lot of people will come to us and they're not confident in their public speaking skills. That's a huge thing that Mocker delivers delivers for our members. And also because, obviously, we, we focus on the, the rural areas. Um, one of our biggest cohorts of members would be young farmers. And increasingly, at key times of the year, young farmers are becoming incredibly isolated through um, in very, very stressful and very, very heavy workloads. And so I've, I've seen this myself, you know, even in calving season, I think you're isolated, you're not talking to one person from one day to the next. The only outlet you might have is on a Friday evening, you go down into a meeting, you're talking to other young farmers who are, are dealing with the same sort of stresses and struggles, you know, and you're able to share your burden, which is a huge thing for mental health. Yeah, and I mean, it was only a few weeks ago I spoke with um, Harold Kingston from, from Court Mac, well known within the IFA, and actually um, my first connection with Harold Kingston nearly 30 years ago would have been uh, with Mockin' a Farmer when I was doing this programme uh, in West Cork. Um, but like he was talking about the burnout and it was isolation was a huge part of that, not being able to share it with somebody else. So it is very important. It's massive. And, and as I say, you know, traditionally we've we've always assumed that, you know, rural isolation was a thing that was, you know, affecting young people who who were not, you know, living near people. But increasingly we're seeing a, a form of, of social isolation happening in, in even urban and semi-urban areas because people are disconnected from their neighbours. They might live very, very close. Some people I know might even live in apartments and, and things like that. But nobody knows anybody else. Mm. So they become isolated in a, in a bubble of kind of loneliness. Um, and uh, like uh, we see that ourselves and uh, any healthcare professional can tell you the longer that that persists the harder that, that cycle is to break because it's very very difficult to make a personal connection if you are isolated so that was my kind of my general point was that now essentially we're competing against uh, symptoms of the of that that isolation which is the likes of Netflix and social media which people might feel is a is a good replacement 
for interpersonal, uh, you know, relations. But in reality, it's, it's not. It's nowhere near it. Yeah, and sure, even when you, and how often have, have we discussed it on this programme, when you see people out and you can see groups of young people just sitting on their phones, nobody even talking to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, personal interactions change um, over time, every generation. So this isn't the, you know, I, I'm only 27, so I, I can't go, you know, those damn kids kind of yeah. thing. But it's uh, <laughs> like, and, and I would see that, like, there's incredible benefits to, to IT technology. Yeah. I spend yeah. a lot of time on, on Twitter. I actually connected with Harold Kingston on, on Did Twitter. You? I didn't okay. know him from, from Adam. And now we, we've had several conversations about both rural isolation and environmental issues. Um, but also, like one of you know, during the during the height of the recession, when when a lot of my friends were forced to leave, the only contact I could have with one of my friends who was living in Australia, who I've known since I was four, uh, was to you know about once or twice you know a month I'd Skype them, um, and that was huge because we could maintain some level of connection. But it, it, it's very important when people kind of have better opportunities to connect with people that they're, that they're taking up those options, and okay. there's nothing like you know, personal, sitting down across the table from somebody and talking to somebody. And that's what, that's what Macra has to uh, has to offer. And you take up your role, 37th, Macra and Affirm, a national president. This, uh, it's this Saturday, isn't it? You got your AGM? It's Saturday. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, look, is it for a year, two years? What, how long? Two years. Two years. Two years. Are you looking forward to it, Thomas? I am, I am. Yeah. I've big boots to fill from a, from a, a cork man there, James Healy. Yeah, the, the great guy. Who's, who's done a huge amount and, I mean, you know, his work is, is going to be very, very hard to follow. But ultimately, like, I have to give it a shot. Yeah, well, you sound like a confident young man. I think you'll do fine. We no doubt our paths will cross. We'll speak again, uh, Thomas. Uh, in the meantime, good luck in your role as President of Market Affirm and thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Uh, bye bye. Uh, good morning to you. That is President elect Thomas Duffy of Macra. 1850 Let's take a break. We've got news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we're going to be discussing new guidelines for the nursing homes, giving residents consumer rights. And we'll also catch up with your calls and comments. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, I was speaking with Thomas Duffy, President-elect of uh, MACRA, and it, it led into a discussion about how important groups like MACRA are for young people. I think they said 18 to 35-year-olds, I think it's the age group uh, for MACRA and Affirma, just to get them out and about and to socialise. And if they live in rural areas, it can be hard and people can feel isolated and you need to go and get involved in, in clubs and uh, organisations. Well, Anne-Marie from Pantry was listening to that piece and she's contacted us uh, because the, the, the discussion also led to people just using social media too much and it can lead to people becoming isolated and she's wondering what's happened to people no longer looking for friendship long term. She says dating is impossible. The dancing scene has changed so much. She said she describes herself. She says I'm an honest reliable female. Divorced non-smoker, non-drinker I come with absolutely no baggage. I live alone. Yet people who seem to have lots of baggage are meeting partners. If you put an ad out there looking for companionship or friendship, uh, Anne-Marie says you get 80-year-olds replying. Dancing in the hazel tree is great, but a two and a half hour drive... That makes the journey very long. There are great dances also at the West Lodge, but it's all couples. It's a shame, says Anne-Marie. Any suggestions? So obviously it is that social dancing scene that Anne-Marie likes to get involved uh, with. I didn't realise that the West Lodge is, is seems to be, according to Anne-Marie, it's all couples who go there, whereas the Hazel Tree in Mallow. I mean, any time we mention people and men and women of a certain age trying to f- meet 
for friendship, for even to date, for a little bit of, of romance. Everybody suggests places like the Hazel Tree in Mallow and the, the social dancing. But if you're in West Cork, Amory reckons there's not enough like that, venues like that, where single people are going. So she's looking for other suggestions. She's in a Bantry. I mean, I, I would you join? There's lots of organisations, I think, where you can meet people. You're obviously out of the age group for uh, Marco and Farmer. Do you have a Toastmasters group? Is there local drama groups, I think, are, are, are great. And you, when you join a local drama group, you don't have to be on the stage. But I remember many, many years ago when I was in my very early 20s before I moved to Cork, I was involved with the Choral Society in Clamell and the social life, the social side of it. Now, I was backstage. I had no interest at all in being, being on the stage. I was uh, stage management, that kind of that kind of thing and props. But there's lots of jobs that you can do within drama groups and choral societies that, you know, maybe that's an option. Do you, know, do you sing? Is there a local choir you could uh, join? Are there any other kind of, you know, it's to go out there and find hobbies and pastimes, things that you mightn't think you're interested in, but just if you join up, you you will find an interest. But you get to meet other people and by meeting other people, you'll form new friendship groups. And who knows, maybe you will ultimately find romance as well. Anyway, if anyone else can make, give suggestions, please, to Anne-Marie in Bantry. She's looking for friendship, but she's looking for a bit of romance as well because she's uh, comes with no baggage and she's a non-drinker and a non-smoker as well. And there are some people out there who certainly would see that as a great uh, advantage. We'll see Anne-Marie do we get any suggestions in for you? You can give John Paul a call 1850-333-103 or you can text her WhatsApp suggestions for our Anne-Marie and Bantry uh, looking to get out there on the scene to meet uh, people. Uh, give us a call, text our WhatsApp. Let me go back to election posters. Siobhan says, Patricia, why don't the politicians recycle their posters for the different elections? They could use the same poster for every election. Kind regards, Siobhan. Well, Siobhan, I have to say, certainly most of the politicians that we would speak with on this programme would would admit to that, that they do use posters. There's a lot of posters, for example, that have gone up this year that were used for the local elections five years ago. Can't think of one of the, which of the, which of the local councillors said they were happy to use the posters from five years ago because they look better on the posters than they do now. Five years of the council can age you somewhat. So they do. In fairness, I I would no I don't think I can think of any politician that every year ever or not every year every time there's an election takes that takes down the posters and puts up put, and puts up new one new ones and even if they don't use them for the election they'll recycle them and get them used for something else Frank says those election posters they're all litter I saw yesterday where election posters were blocking the sight lines at a road junction and there are and we're and we're told that they're not to be put up on electric poles yet says Frank they're all over electric poles so they're not abiding by that rule that's uh, for sure and another text just says congratulations to Pat O'Regan Pat O'Regan was the independent councillor who's running first time out who made the decision on environmental grounds not to put up posters the listener wants to congratulate him and this listener says driving on the Carrickrohan Strait yesterday a sea of posters on both sides they will blind you they surely are a distraction to uh, drivers. Some of your calls in on uh, post 
posters. Dan in Whelan says, I saw election posters being thrown over the ditches in Whelan. They belonged to local Fianna Fáil candidates. So the skullduggery is going on, not just in West Cork. Mary in Mill Street says, Patricia, yesterday I contacted your programme, contacted Cork Today at C103 to say that there were two posters outside the graveyard in Mill Street, Mill Street which I felt was disrespectful. Well, would you believe one of the candidates must have been listening to C103 yesterday because lo and behold, one of the posters has been removed. Now, we didn't name the candidates and I don't even know what candidates are involved here. But whoever did remove it and hopefully it was because we mentioned it yesterday and they realised, yeah, that is a bit disrespectful. But Mary and Mystery said, could they come back please and take down the cable ties because you've left the cable ties on the poles and that's the real environmental hazard. So get rid of that. The other poster, says Mary, still remains in uh, place. So if you know who the candidate is, maybe they're listening. Did you put a poster up outside the graveyard in Mill Street? A little bit disrespectful. Can you take it down, uh, please? Uh, Mary reckons it shows the power of radio when she saw that that particular poster had been removed yesterday. And actually, Councillor Paul Hayes in West Cork has been on uh, to say, sadly, damage to election posters is nothing new. I have lots of doctored, in inverted commas, posters over the years. And he sends on some photographs of doctored posters. I've even have some I've even had some being used as target practice with shotgun holes. My goodness. I was in uh, Drina and I spotted some more of my posters after being defaced with black spray while others had been removed. Possibly the same as what Councillor John O'Sullivan was saying to reappear after the election with the hope that I'm trying to get the candidate into trouble. Kind regards and that's Councillor Paul Hayes who sends on somebody with red spray paint uh, deciding to have a go at Paul Hayes's uh, posters. OK, and just staying on canvassing and that, Lehman Brough was on um, and he's has a bit of a gripe about the candidates that are running in the European elections who are running for a position as an MEP. He wants to know why do they run under the banner of Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, Social Democrats, uh, Sinn Féin and all of the other Irish political parties and of course some will run as independents because Liam says when they do go to Europe they join up with bigger uh, parties and they align themselves with bigger parties Um, so surely that when they're running in the election they should be mentioning the parties and the groupings that they're going to be aligning themselves with and he's suggesting that they would, that they would run instead under the groupings. I don't know how you could actually do that because it's a grouping of all different parties get uh, together. They, I don't. They, there isn't a name. It isn't one party. They're just all. They just all like almost form a little coalition uh, together. But they still are representing their own parties because uh, Liam Brough feels it doesn't not divide Irish politics in Europe if they're running under the different parties. No, I disagree with you on that because it's one thing you will see and you will notice if you deal with MEPs. They all work together. It's the one fantastic thing. Now I know in an election process they'd all be. They'd all be at each other to try and get the number one vote and I can accept that. But once they get elected and once they go to Europe, there is very much a united front. And I know uh, John Paul went to Strasbourg last year and that was the one thing he came back and was the one thing he noticed was that all of, regardless of what political party they were, he was there as guests of the MEPs from the South and he said they all work together and they're all there to work for Ireland South or whatever area of the country they're representing. So there is a great unity amongst them. One 
once they get election elected, but of course the actual campaign itself, there wouldn't be that same kind of uh, unity. Now also coming in to us, oh, on the donuts and doing the donuts on the, remember I mentioned this came up in the court yesterday in West Cork and a judge uh, being told that motorists doing donuts is a particular problem in West Cork. Now, I'm not saying that it only happens in West Cork, but for some reason, a lot of young people, and I'm right in saying it is mainly young people. I don't know if people of a more mature age are out driving around doing donuts on the road. But if you're driving anywhere around West Cork, it's the one thing I always notice on my visit to West Cork all of the different roads will have the because the tarmacs you can clearly see the circular tarmacs of the figure 8 left behind after these donuts that were being performed morning Patricia I think this issue of young ones doing donuts is again there's nothing for young people to do there are no clubs like youth clubs for young people they are non-existent not everybody wants to play football or hurling or get involved in sports again it's a rural uh, issue we keep saying it but nobody seems to be listening to uh, us absolutely nothing for them to do and then another text says hi Patricia I was listening to your piece on the drivers doing the donuts on the road wouldn't it be a good idea to provide designated areas like a disused car park or a similar venue where these young drivers could do their exhibition driving and do it safely and keep it away from public areas and keep it off the roads. Would others agree? So there you go. To, because I, I don't know how we're going to stop them doing the donuts because if they, you know, they've got mobile phones and two-way radios were found as well in the car of the young guy that was caught in Drina. You know, somebody will ring the guards, the guardy will send out a patrol car, which they're long since gone by the time the guardy arrive. So if you can't stop them, if the guardy are finding it hard to actually catch them in the act and prosecute them, does is this listener right? Is that the way to go? Allow them to do it legally by giving them a designated area. How would people feel about that? Now, I don't know the young people themselves. Would they be happy with the designated area? Because it is exhibition driving. Because the scene in Drina was described as three cars doing it with a big, observed by a large crowd. So I think this listener could be onto something. Get a disused car park and, you know, have it all cordoned off and... I don't know, open it at regular times. Is that what you'd do? And you would say to the young people, if you want to do, do the donuts. And if you're able to afford all the tyres that they must go, that's the one thing that always gets to me, is the amount they must be spending on tyres. 1850-333-103. I don't know if people will, are, will want to agree or disagree on that particular point from that uh, listener. And can I go back? It's funny when I was mentioning drama groups for Anne-Marie and, and choral societies is a good place to, it's a great place to meet other people. We had put an SOS out on Tuesday on behalf of the Formoy Musical Society who are going to be performing the wonderful show South Pacific. That's a terrific show and it's on next November and they were looking for wicker chairs. The wicker chairs with the very high back. Something that you could imagine being used in a musical like South Pacific. I can almost see it on the stage. So anyway, they were looking for 
wicker chairs with the very high back on it we were putting out the call to see they were willing to pay for it but borrow it would be the idea because it's, it's the for the musical society and they would return it to the person and all of that we straight away got somebody on to say I think I have one of those wicker chairs we passed down the details and all of that and the person who's been in contact with me I don't know of a name or not on the person who's been in contact with me but they've been back to say that uh, read the wicker chair that very kind person who gave you her telephone number is giving us a loan of the chair in November for the show we would now like you to mention it again is there anyone in the Formoy area who might have one of these old style wicker chairs with the very high back on it uh, if anyone could help it would be great 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your course text to WhatsApp 086 2103 103. The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon, Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c103.ie. Childbinder required to look after two children two days a week that's in the Lascarrel area, while steel fabricators and pipe fitters are required for the Clonakilty area, and a drone pilot slash video camera operator wanted that's part time work, and a restaurant supervisor and bar staff are all wanted for the Harbour Bar in West Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now this week, nursing homes across Cork are receiving new consumer protection guidelines from the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. To chat about the guidelines, I'm joined by Doreen Sweeney, who is Head of Corporate and Stakeholder Engagement with the CCPC. Good morning to you, Doreen. Good morning. And and you are welcome. Do you think many residents of nursing homes don't realise that they actually have consumer rights? Absolutely. Um, well, I suppose in, in any in any time you buy a service or a product, you have rights. But I suppose particularly the nature of, um, firstly, when you're going into a nursing home, the circumstances you or your family member are in. But also when you're there, the, the, the circumstances you're in and the service you've been provided, quite often it doesn't feel like it's necessarily a, a transaction as such because you've been prepared for it. But absolutely, they're important rights, particularly in um, for consumers that are vulnerable, um, such as the residents. And in developing these guidelines, who did you engage with? Absolutely. We did quite a broad um, project. So we initially started, we met with various stakeholders. So we engaged with the sector themselves to understand, I suppose, the, how contracts care are used, the issues from an industry perspective of, of in their use and important things for them. Then we spoke, we met representative groups for um, residents, for people who had um, family members who had been into nursing homes. And then we did a public consultation and we openly asked anybody to make submissions to let us know about contracts of care. And we also spoke to other, um, other bodies involved and other policymakers as well too. And obviously you would have looked at some of the contracts of care that are currently in use. Can yes. some of them be very technical and maybe not easily understood? Absolutely. So what our project looked at is under a particular piece of consumer legislation, which is the unfair terms. And the unfair terms um, are when you sign up to a contract and it's not negotiated. It's a standard template. So there's nothing really specific to you in your circumstances. And in that, you, you don't, as I said, it's, it's not necessarily about what you need. So the, the business will go off and draft the, the contract standards and give it to you and you sign up. So 
So when you sign that contract, and particularly for nursing home um, care, it's a very, very high-value contract. It's a lot of money you're signing up to, and there's a lot of detail in it. Um, and what we saw was, for start, there is very complex. What we saw, um, and I'll give you an example of one of the terms that we came across um, that we highlighted in our guidelines, is, is it's hereby agreed by the parties that this agreement shall be interpreted as an agreement and or a plan for the purposes of Regulations 25.3 and 25.4 of the Regulations of 2013. What in God's name? So <laughs> how could you possibly, even we sat there going, oh gosh. Okay, what have I just signed up to there? Precisely, and the whole point of these regulations are firstly, you know what you're signing up for. You understand, you have transparency, clarity and certainty. So you know and you understand before you go in to a service, you know what it is. But also as well too, um, as part of that is it makes reference to regulations. What regulations? What are you committing to? So along with not providing the information, it is quite technical. So contracts are technical by nature, but particularly this one, it's very important. So well, what is the requirement under these um, guidelines is that you provide it in English that you can easily understand. And equally, a, res- a resident or their family is entitled to ask, what does that mean, so that you can make an, 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 an informed decision about what you're signing up to. And do residents have consumer rights storing whether they pay all or some of the costs? These regulations apply to all times, all standard form contracts. So whether partly it was paid by, you know, the fair deal scheme or other schemes, this is for anybody that is signing a contract of care. So it is, it's not a, um, about the payment method. It is about what you are committing to and what the business is committing to, the, the nursing home is committing to you too. Top-up fees, um, I think, can often be a bone of uh, contention when, you know, somebody moves into a nursing home. What's the advice around these additional fees? Absolutely. Well, there's two important points to make. Firstly is um, quite often there are optional fees. If something is an option, it should be an option. So therefore, you should be given the choice of choosing to or not choosing to. Where there are costs that are, are mandatory, this, we believe, should be put, given to you up front. So you should know the full price for the service, including any extras, before you sign the contract. Now, sometimes in the duration, your care might change or something might change that may require a change in, in how much you're paying. There is, it's absolutely essential that your contract of care says in what circumstances the prices may change and the process in which will happen. So when will you be told? What notice will be, you be given? And all of that important information, as I said, the whole point of this is back to clarity and certainty and transparency. So you should be told about it and engaged with before the price change. So there should be no surprises, um, you know, further in that you didn't know about it. And it shouldn't happen too often. It should be the exception, not the norm. And if you leave the nursing home for a period of time, I mean, the, you know, the obvious example would be somebody who becomes unwell and has to, has to go to a hospital for, for a period of time. Are you entitled to discounted fees? It comes down to the, circ- the, the circumstances. If you're gone for a long time from the, the nursing home, the nursing home saves money because they're not providing you care. Yeah. So what we would say is in your contract of care, it should say if you're absent for X amount of time, this is what happens. And we would think that it should say that if you're missing for a longer, long amount of time, you are entitled to X amount. And then the nursing home should set out in what circumstances and how much and how it's calculated. Now, if they can't give you how much will be saved, what they can do is say how this will be calculated and in what terms. So, again, it's all about the information and setting out there before you start, before you find yourself in that situation that you're in hospital. So you're not trying to find out then or trying to negotiate that you're paying a high amount of money when you're not there. It's really all about communication, isn't it? And, really and, and everybody communicating with the service provider, you know, the, the resident home. 
And I, I, it's a combination of both because I suppose the circumstances are when you move into a nursing home, it's stressful. Yeah. It's emotional. Yeah. It's reached a point where you're getting to... So there's a lot said to you as well too at that point that you can't possibly take on board, um, which you can understand. So I suppose the point is that if a point in time in future something happens, so you, for example, you have to be away from the nursing home for a while, you can pick up your contract of care and it says what is the process, what is the information, what are you entitled to. And equally as well, so you guys, with what we identify in our guidelines, are potentially unfair terms. So our, our aim with this is to take, the, there's 582 registered nursing homes, to bring up the standard of contract of care across all of the sector so that you're not tied to unfair terms in any context in in a contract of care. So it gives you that extra protection. So the information before you get there, information during, and also that you're not caught with unfair terms. If you understood or you knew, you wouldn't sign up to. And because there can be limited options of nursing home care, are some people slow to complain if they're not happy with the service? Um, I, well, um, I suppose the, the, um, what we would have heard back is that it's obviously a concern it, and, and they would be worried about it because it's not like once you're in, you, you are in um, and it's not like you could chop around. But I suppose back to what the, the guidelines are trying to, to achieve on, on one particular section, it does talk about is how do you deal, you know, what happens if, for example, you breach a contract or what happens if there's restrictions about your visitation because of a nursing, you know, the nursing home isn't happy with who's visiting you in terms of that they've complained, etc. So the the context or the situation in which there can be repercussions for you if you complain um, should be set out and they should be fair. And that's and the information is so you can't because you complained about X, Y, or Z, you shouldn't find yourself in a position that your contract is is cancelled. You're you're removed from the nursing home without. Um, very good circumstances, information provided to you, the opportunity in order for you to address the issues, um, all of these things that should be there. So, um, yes, in some way, but hopefully, you know, and, I, and we didn't have specific examples where people said that they, they were, but it is a concern, of course, if you are going to complain. Yeah, and of course, if you are um, a resident um, or, or a family member, if, if you're not happy in, in some ways, uh, you suggest raise those concerns. Absolutely, absolutely. So important part of the project of what we did was we created guidelines for nursing homes and that's to help them understand what their duties are. We also created a booklet for consumers, for residents and their families to help them understand what to expect from a contract of care. What are the things that the information they should be provided? What are they entitled to ask for? But important part of that is what too is that if you currently have a contract of care and you're concerned about terms that are in it, you can look at the booklet. It'll help explain what is allowed and what's not allowed. And we've also provided what we hope is a very straightforward um, template letter that you put in your details. So you put in your the, the name of the, the resident and um, where you're concerned. So you can put your um, concerns to the nursing home so that they can address them and come back to you to explain why that isn't, you know, potentially an unfair term. So there's plenty of tools there to help residents. Well done. Well done. Now you've issued the guidelines to the nursing home homes. Yep. What happens from here and are they legally binding guidelines? Well, to to step backwards, the, reg- the legislation under which we sent the guidelines, that is compulsory to everybody in every sector. So you must comply with the unfair terms regulations. So providers currently are, but I suppose unfair is a term that to everybody means different things. So these guidelines are the starting point is setting out this is exactly what the CCPC cons- thinks contracts of care should consider. Now it's important to say that only the court in Ireland can determine that a, a term is unfair, but these are the starting points. So what we're doing is we've sent them out to 582 providers and we've asked them and told them to look at their contracts of care. Some may have no men to make, some may have 
amendments to make. We're allowing a bit of time to review because these are complex documents. Um, and then as part of our overall, we, we would do inspections across numbers, numerous different consumer protection law. Um, in the future, we will be going and we'll be looking at um, contracts of care that are being used. And also consumers, if they have put their complaints or they have put their concerns to the nursing home provider and they're not addressed, we would ask them to contact us as well too, so that we can um, get a sense of, I suppose, the, if there are concerns in particular areas. Well done, well done. I think these are guidelines that are long, long overdue and people can find out more about them on your website. Absolutely, ccpc.ie um, if you click on the consumer button or we have a helpline as well too, um, which is 1890 432 432. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks Thank for joining you. us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Doreen Sweeney, Head of Corporate and Stakeholder Engagement with the Competition and Consumer Protection uh, Commission. If you have a loved one in a nursing home or you're listening to us in a nursing home, take a look at those uh, guidelines. And there's a lot of literature uh, about the guidelines um, on the CCPC uh, website. Uh, well done all. 1850 John Paul has taken your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 it is Thursday, so that means after half past 12 today, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us. So if you've got a pet question, you can get that into us throughout the morning as well. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. C103 invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets. Hit the streets. Feeling alive. Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie. CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Feeling alive. With C103. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And just to let you know, the phone lines have been extremely busy this morning, so our apologies if John Paul isn't getting around to all of the calls. Keep trying, or you can always text or WhatsApp. They come into me here at the studio and request a call back. And when the phone lines get a little bit quieter, John Paul can call you back 0862 103 103. But bear with us, please. They're just particularly busy today. Now, I want to go to Skibbereen Garda Station for this week's Garda File, where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, Trina O'Mahony. Uh, good morning to you, Trina. 
Good morning, Patricia. And you are welcome to the programme. We are starting with criminal damage and theft. That's right, Patricia. Uh, the Gardaí at uh, Bandon Garda Station are investigating a criminal damage from theft uh, from a motor vehicle uh, incident which occurred sometime around 10am on Sunday last, the 5th of May 2019. Uh, during that incident, a car window was smashed and a bag was stolen from the vehicle. Um, that incident actually occurred in a public car park close to a beach in the Kilbritton area. So if anyone in that area may have noticed anything suspicious around that time, we'd appreciate a call. And that was 10am last Sunday morning? That's right, yes. Again, we're back to don't leave the handbag in the in the, in the the car. Yes. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, yeah. there was also a criminal da- damage reported at Kinsale Garda Station. That's right, a very similar incident, Patricia. Um, Garda Kinsale are investigating a similar incident uh, where a theft occurred from a motor vehicle uh, which was parked in the Charlesport area. That would have occurred between 2 and 3.15pm on the 2nd of May, so that would have been last Thursday afternoon. And during that incident, entry was gained to the vehicle by smashing a rear window um, before a bag, which actually contained a laptop, was taken from that car. So again, this is a public car park, so someone in that area may have seen something suspicious in around that time. And we're coming into that time of the year because the weather is getting better and more and more people are heading to the beaches and going to places for walks. You bring nothing of, bring nothing of value with you. Yes. That you can leave yeah, in the car. That seems to be the, that seems yeah. to be the best advice that we can give. Absolutely. Oh, okay. And then there is a theft of lead flashing. This is something that doesn't come up that often uh, and, yes. uh, and a slot. That's right, Patricia. Um, at Stokes Garda Station, the Garda there are investigating theft of lead flashing and heavy-duty cable. These would be building materials. Um, they were taken from the Dunamore area between 4pm on the 6th of May and 6pm on the 7th of May 2019, so Monday to Tuesday last. And the heavy-duty cable there would have been in the form of large rolls, and there would have been five of those taken in total. So it would have been a sizable quantity of, of goods to be taken. I would imagine a vehicle would have been required to remove them from that area. Um, again, if anyone saw anything suspicious at all around that, you know, during in that area, sorry, during during the, that time frame, they can call the Guardian at Stuart Guard Station or indeed at McCroom Guard Station. Let's move uh, on to the theft of leisure boats. Now, this is going to become much more appropriate as we head into the summer months. We may, and hopefully we won't, but we may see more of this in the coming weeks and months. Yes, absolutely. Um, Guardian Skibreen and Baltimore are investigating the theft of two leisure boats from the Baltimore area. One of these is a 15-foot A-laser make uh, sailing boat, which is white in colour, and the other is described as a green kayak. Um, Both of these were taken from the same location in the Baltimore area sometime in the last number of weeks. Um, Again, if anyone has any information, we'd appreciate a call. Um, Again, as you say, I suppose this incident, again, highlights coming into the summer months the importance of being very security conscious in respect of all marine equipment. Um, People, I suppose, often leave uh, kayaks, for example, tied up on chains near piers in remote areas and unfortunately criminals who target this type of equipment have the necessary tools to cut those things. So I would advise that these items are taken home and stored away between uses if at all possible. Um, And I suppose the other thing, Patricia, is, and it goes back to the other crimes mentioned this morning, what we're noticing lately is an increase in the number of crimes that are taking place in broad daylight um, in circumstances where the criminal has completely blended in and items have been taken you know, in front of others who may not have noticed that if there was anything um, out of the ordinary, I suppose, in, in what they may have seen. 
Yeah, so you're looking out for anything uh, suspicious, anything that just makes you a little bit uncomfortable or looks, somebody looks out of place. But as you say, they're getting clever. They are blending in. Yes, and this is the thing, I suppose, if you're a local to an area where you see um, an item being moved, a boat, a kayak, whatever it might be, and you're just a little bit unsure, you're not sure who the person is, if you know the person who owns the item, give them a ring, check is is you know what's happening legitimate or if you're if you don't give the local guard station a ring and just just let us know and we can look into it further um it's i suppose better to be safe than than sorry if it's all possible absolutely okay there's a couple of things i know you want to um uh, highlight starting with the firearm certificate renewals it is that time of year it is that time of year yes um as i said i suppose Firstly, I'd just like to remind those listeners who are in possession of a firearm certificate that a large number of these are currently due for renewal. Um, these certificates have a duration of three years and when they are due for renewal, a reminder is sent to the certificate holder in around three to five months in advance of the expiry of their existing certificate. So uh, the reminder comes with a pre-populated form, which all the, the applicant needs to do is, suppose, is check over the form if there's any changes, make those changes. Uh, bring the form fully completed to the local guard station where it will then be processed. Um, I would ask those people, I suppose, who are in receipt of the reminders not to hold on to them, don't throw them in a drawer, uh, bring them as soon as you can to the local guard station um, in order to avoid any delays down the road. Um, once approved for renewal, the licensee will then be required to pay the fee and only then will the new certificate be issued. So it's just very important that they're acted upon as quickly as possible. Yeah, because can, what often can happen is with a reminder, you know, particularly one that goes out three to five months in advance, you think, oh, sure, I have loads of time on that. It gets put away in a drawer and it gets forgotten about. It's not exactly. intentional, but it can get forgotten about. But the danger is, I mean, if your licence runs out on your firearm, you've then got an illegally held firearm. Exactly, yeah. absolutely. Um, and again, you're absolutely right. It's not, in, in 99% of cases, it's it's not done uh, unpurposely or anything like that. But, but with that time, I suppose the sooner they get into us, the sooner we can we can process them as well. And if everybody is procrastinating, that puts us under pressure to get the um, applications processed quickly as well. Okay. It's silage season coming up. Or is it? It's underway, isn't it? It's already underway. I suppose, yeah, yeah. Funny, I've noticed a number of farmers beginning to cut the silage around this area already. Yeah. Um, I suppose with that in mind, we would just like to ask road users to be mindful of it. Um, we will see a huge increase in the amount of large agricultural machinery on our roads over the next uh, few months. These are often working late into the night and even through the night. Um. I suppose during the next few months, if you are planning a journey, give yourself plenty of time, take cognizance of the fact that you may at any juncture come upon agricultural activity on the road and that may require you to slow down or it may present you know, an added risk to, to road users. So just be mindful of it. Um, the other thing, actually, the Division of Roads Policing Unit will, as always, be operating throughout the county over the coming months. And have asked me just to remind those operating agricultural machinery that while travelling on public roads, they may be required to produce driving licences if stopped. Um, and, of course, a valid tax disc and insurance must be also displayed. So just remember, carry your driver's licence with you at all times, no matter what vehicle you're travelling in. OK, let's try and keep everybody safe on the roads. And it's for people visiting rural areas. You've just got to prepare for the unexpected when you come around a bend. You don't know what could be coming against you uh, or what's already there. So just please uh, drive with uh, care. And uh, finally, you want to mention the um, young people from West Cork who won the National Youth Awards. 
That's correct, uh, Patricia. Just wanted to take the opportunity to just congratulate a group of six young students from the Maria Immaculata Community College in Dunmanway. They were given a group award at the National Guard Youth Awards, which was held in Port Leith on Saturday the 27th of April last. The students there were Sean Cronin, Shauna Coughlin, Donna Hayes, Ryan Toomey, Keen Hurley and Maeve King. And they received an award. They had raised a huge sum of €24,000 in the Greater Dunmanway area for Habitat for Humanity charity. And to raise that, they carried out a variety of fundraising events and even went to Zambia for three weeks where they wow. volunteered. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. So, and a, that's a huge sum of money to raise. And then huge. it will go so far in a country like Zambia. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. OK, so well done. And I know they were nominated by their teacher and uh, their school principal. So congratulations um, all round. OK, we leave it there, Trina. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll talk again soon. That is Sergeant Trina O'Mahony, who joins us this morning from Skibbereen Garda Station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, we were speaking about donuts and boy racers and girl racers out and about in the highways and byways. Very dangerous, careless driving, um, exhibition driving. And it all came up in a a court case in West Cork where the judge said that, uh, was told that motorists doing donuts is a particular problem in West Cork. And the incident was to do with three cars in particular doing these donuts in the village of Drina last month. And they were being watched by a large crowd of people. Two got away, but one remained at the scene and ended up in in court and ended up being fined. €1,000 for the dangerous driving and also he had these non-conforming plates that a lot of the young people like to have, but they're illegal as well. And he had a €500 fine for that. But the judge decided... Um, while it was at the high end of careless driving and exhibition driving he didn't receive a disqualification some people felt that he should have received a disqualification that maybe that would act as a deterrent to other young drivers there's no deterrent out there at the moment and that's why we're seeing a lot of these young people out driving late at night doing these donuts and doing these very dangerous uh, spins on the road. Now, some of your thoughts on it. Hi, Patricia. Speaking about these donuts that are going on, we're plagued with this boy, with the boy racers doing them. We live near a crossroads and from 11pm at night to 2am in the morning, the boy racers are speeding and doing donuts on our road. It's the N71. We have contacted on Garda Shia Corner. We've done it quite a few times, but they're still doing them. The sound coming from the cars would wake the dead. We are just waiting now for a big accident, oh God forbid, to happen between the locals and the boy racers. And that was the point that I made uh, earlier. While it is very dangerous and stupid driving on behalf of the young people, the fact that it goes on late at night, for people living close by, the sound of that car is speeding like that and then screeching to a halt. It's true. It's a they would wake the dead very very difficult and if you've got young children trying to get babies to sleep or elderly people who mightn't sleep very well and if they're living on their own it can be quite uh, terrifying. Now the suggestion came in from one of our listeners that maybe we should get a designated area for these boy racers and put them in you know disused car park I think was the suggestion that was uh, used so some reaction to that. Hi Patricia yes a designated area for those donut 
drivers uh, who think they're ever so clever. It's a thought, I suppose. However, by giving sanction to their to such su- stupidity, it's taking away the thrill from those idiots. So somebody who thinks that a lot of the reason that they do it late at night is it's the thrill of getting away from Angarda Shia Corner. Sandy says, I agree with designated areas for exhibition driving, for donuts, weaving, etc. Second hand tyres almost bordering on legal legal tread depth are actually the best. It's almost impossible says Sandy to use new tyres that's due to thread depth giving too much road grip. As soon as far as I know Guardian in Donegal says Sandy managed to arrange a venue for a time because there was a lot of there was a lot of reports of Boy racers doing donuts and doing careless driving in Donegal and we know of all of the counties in Ireland Donegal has sadly had a very high fatality rate of young drivers and it's been really really shocking so the Gardaí in Donegal doing everything that they can to try to make the roads as safe as possible and they tried this I'll try and see if I can find out more about that is it still going on and has it been successful to have designated areas where you would let the boy racers and the girl racers know if you want to be doing your donuts this is where you where, where you do it but Margaret in Bally de Hob raises a problem about having a designated place how would they get insurance on these places when look at the difficulty some creches are having getting their public liability insurance. What insurance company would cover such a venue, which is a good point and one I hadn't thought about. And we've been looking at insurance costs with some of the play centres about to close down. They've managed uh, to secure funding, thank God. And actually this week, and I know John Paul is working on it, we're hoping to, I don't know if we're going to get to it tomorrow or not, but festivals are having huge problems getting insurance costs and it could mean and it's already mean meaning that festivals which are so popular for young for young people and people of all ages for families to get out and about in their own area and you'll have family members returning home on holidays if there's a local festival on and unfortunately because of rising insurance costs we are sadly seeing the demise of some of these festivals because they're run by volunteers they're run by the local committee and the committee just can't get the insurance and of course if they don't have the public liability insurance they can't run the festival and of course it goes back as well to people suing. We're just gone. We're, we are a litigious society and if somebody has a fall now or there's, in some cases, it's a minor accident at one of these festivals. Many years ago, you'd, if you fell over, you dusted yourself down, you'd be mortified but you'd pick yourself up and you'd move along. Now people straight away are going compensation, compensation, compensation but it's ruining it for everybody and because of that, festivals, we're losing more and more of our festivals and we are hoping to speak with the Association of Festivals on on the programme this week to see if we can find out what is the solution to that uh, problem. Now also coming into oh this is reaction remember what was Anne-Marie from Bantry contacted us and was just looking for advice uh, about where can she go she to find friendship and I think a little bit of romance is what our Anne-Marie is looking for. She describes herself as honest, reliable. She's divorced. She's a non-smoker, a non-drinker. She comes with no baggage, which is a great description of herself. And uh, she's just finding it really hard to meet somebody. She has tried the d- dating websites, but she said all oh, she seems to are puts, uh, I don't know if it's a dating website, it puts ads, you know, like a Lonely Hearts ad or something like that. Then she said all she has been getting to date uh, is 80 year olds and dancing at the Hazel Tree uh, outside of Mallow. Fantastic. But she's 
down in Bantry, two and a half hour drive to get to the Hazeltree in Mallow. So it's not something she can do on a weekly basis. Westlot should tell do dances but she reckons when she's gone there it's been all couples and she wants to go as a single uh, person. Okay, some suggestions have come in. Oh, besides some suggestions, Carmel contacted us because I was making the point to Anne-Marie if she could join some clubs, get involved, you know, find different social outlets not like she loves the social dancing but if that isn't available to her locally see what other kind of clubs there are in the area where she could join well Carmel reacted to that and said that she moved from the United Kingdom and is now living in Clonakilty and she says that she finds it very hard to make friends in Clonakilty and she did exactly what I had suggested she did join clubs but she's still finding it hard to make friends she said it's a beautiful beautiful part of the world she's very happy living there but what she sees is the problem. Many people living in the Clonakilty area have grown up in the area. They're now busy with their own lives and they have their own friendship group and they're not sort of interested in bringing somebody else into the friendship group. And she says she can find it, even in a town like Clonakilty, she can find it very socially um, isolating, isolated, which, which saddens me to hear that because it's a town that I know well and it's a town I lived in for two years and I made some friends uh, nearly 30 years ago now who are still my friends today. So uh, I'm taken aback that you're, you're not making friends in Clonakilty. But again, maybe they're just not the right clubs for you. Try other clubs, try other organisations. Carmel, do not give up. That would be my message to you on that one. And then someone else on the social scene. Gary contacted us from Waterford. He's also kind of identifies with what Anne-Marie and Bantry is saying, trying to find somebody to meet with for friendship or for a little bit of romance. He's tried online uh, dating. He's in the younger category that he's 31. I don't, by the way, have an age on Anne-Marie from Bantry. She didn't put an age on her text. But Gary's 31. And uh, even at 31, he's finding it hard to meet meet somebody. He has tried the uh, online dating sites, but he said he's either getting people in their late 40s or else he's getting people in their late teens. Nobody around his own age is uh, coming forward. He lives in Waterford. He said there's nobody around him on the websites, on these dating sites for him to go and meet. So it does mean he has to uh, travel. He says some people uh, were asking me strange questions on the site. I don't know what the strange questions were. John Paul hasn't given details on that. So he's wondering where do young people uh, meet uh, up? He said I would be all around social. I would only... I would be annoyed by what that means. Uh, it's weekends. He likes to go out on the weekends because he works uh, during the week. But he's finding it hard at 31. Oh my God, if you're finding it hard at 31, I don't know. Well, at 31, when you mention Waterford, Mocker de Firma, we, we discussed that this morning. It's a great place for social, I don't know, social outlets. And even though it is traditionally a rural organisation. They do have branches all over the country and they certainly have a lot, a lot of what they get involved with. There's a huge social aspect to that and many romances come out from people joining at Makra. Dennis on posters says, I think the posters that are up are fine, but in fairness, whether you like politicians or not, at least these people have the neck to run, put their face on a poster, their name to it and put their names up on the ballot paper. He uh, doesn't like to hear people criticising politicians that is, that it's um, it's a tough job. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I, I, you really are putting yourself out there, that's uh, for sure. Uh, 1850-333-103 Can you get your pet questions into us please 
for uh, Jane, our resident vet. She'll be joining us after half past 12 today. So if you've got a pet question, uh, get it in. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cadillac Community Lotto that goes ahead tonight in Sheehan's Bar. The jackpot is €1,000 and all tickets bought support the local community. Blood Transfusion Service, they've got a blood donor clinic in the Sale Sports Centre in Kinsale, 5 to 8.30 today. And Donal O'Neary of Top Down will present a workshop on composting of both food and garden waste. That's on tonight at 8 in the Pierce Memorial Hall in Bohabwee. It's organised by Bohabwee Tidy Towns Group. All are welcome. And Cork Counselling Services, they're hosting a table quiz fundraiser tomorrow evening in the Hawthorne Bar in the Lock. Lots of fun and finger food and great prizes. It is four per team and it's €10 per person. And a musical evening in aid of Can Talk will be held in St James's Church in Mallow tomorrow night. That starts at eight o'clock. It features traditional Irish music, choirs, solo and duo performances. Can Talk is a local cancer support group in Mallow, helping adults affected by a diagnosis of cancer. Job interview fails. So what would you say your weaknesses are? Um, oh, I suppose I'd have a weakness for the drink. <laughs> but only during the week. I mean, I'd hate being hungover on my weekend, you know? Uh-huh. Why do you want to work here? Well, I'd like to move on from my current employer, as I've a whole legal issue thing. <laughs> Bottom line, nobody told me I couldn't sell the company car. Think you actually have the right answers? Then C103 wants to talk to you. We're hiring a sales executive to expand our busy team. If you're ambitious, creative and think you've got what it takes, email your CV to hrmanager at c103.ie today. C103 is an equal opportunities employer and part of Wireless Group. Anne-Marie has come back to us um, from Bantry. This is the, because I didn't have details on her age or whatever, and she's the one which doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. Uh, she's a divorcee. She comes with no baggage. She's finding it hard to meet uh, somebody. She's 46, but she looks younger. Ooh, sounds good, Anne-Marie. She's tried the online dating website's disaster. She put an ad in the local paper. That's where she got an 80-year-old um, wanting to meet her. She's also tried speed dating, all a disaster. And then someone else says, listening to your programme, Patricia, can't understand how that lady was a Carmel who has moved to Clonakilty from the United Kingdom. Can't understand how she's not able to meet anyone and make friends because Clonakilty is a town with so many clubs. What are her interests? What are her age group? I don't know. She was talking to John Paul, so I don't know if John Paul has more uh, details or not on that lady from, I think it was Carmel from uh, Clonakilty. Now, on the young guy doing the donuts in Drina who was caught and was fined. Some commentary in on that. Patricia, there's plenty of room in Cork, Limerick and Mount Joy jails. That's where those people, when they're caught doing those donuts, should be put. That's from Pat. Someone else says, Hi Patricia, I was delighted to see that the guard, guardy got the lads doing the donuts in Killarney at the weekend. It ruins it for the people that actually go to see the rally. And someone else says, How much was that driver fined for the number plates for the 
the non-conforming number plates, he was fined €500. Euro. It was €1,000 was the fine for the careless driving and then 1500 because he had non-conform or 500 then for non-conforming uh, plates. Mary is on the line. Good afternoon, Mary. Hi, how are you? Mary, you, you, I'm very well, thank you. You think the penalty of €1,000 for the careless driving was a harsh penalty? I do, because um, I don't know the, the guy's background or anything, but is it he's going to pay or is it his parents are going to pay? Um, I feel that the penalties are very harsh on the young people. We all made mistakes when we were young. Um, judging them like this, and somebody said about disqualifying the person, mm. I think that is horrific because... If any of us, including the judge, were to put himself in that person's place and look at what his life might be like ahead, if that happened to him, you know? he. But he's a 21-year-old who was out doing, deliber- so he, deliberately doing it. Wasn't that he got caught speeding, didn't realise he was over the speed limit? I mean, they were out in the middle of Drina, three of them yeah. pulling these stunts on the main street of the village. OK, so there should be a place for them to do that in a safe place um, and then they can accept their own consequences if they crash into each other or whatever um, they should have a place it's young, it's young energy um, why do they have to do it in the dark um, you know what they need is counselling 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 or they need to be taken to maybe Dunleary Hospital and see the consequences of crashes. Yeah, that, that's a, need, that. Yeah, that'll be an eye opener for them for sure. Yeah, yeah, they need to. They need to have a reason to know what the consequences to their behaviour is. And what but they're they young and they feel invincible. They do, but they, they if they're shown some of the young people that are, you know, dealing with that, or if they spoke to some people that had been disqualified a number of years ago and see where their lives are now. You know, there should be some form of counselling and advice from people that have gone through it. You know, somebody mentioned Mountjoy. Take them up there, let them talk to some of the inmates. But we need to do something because this, this prevalence of these young people doing the donuts, particularly in West Cork, has, it's an ongoing problem. It's, you know, and I know it's hard for the Gardaí to go out and actually catch them because by the time the Gardaí get there, they're gone. Something needs to be done. And and maybe as the suggestions are coming in, it's a designated area. We're not going to stop these young people from doing it. They will eventually, if they don't kill themselves or kill someone else, they'll grow out of it. But in the meantime, do yeah. we need to come up with, with the, the, the designated areas? Them, disqualifying them is not an answer because that affects their lives and it will affect their families in future. If they get married and have kids, they can't take Yeah, but it'll, it will make the roads a bit safer if they were disqualified, Mary. If you're coming around a bend and some lunatic is doing a donut at high well, speed I in front of you. Well, I came around a bend yesterday and there were people cutting um, hedges. Yeah. They had no signs whatsoever. Um, there was two machines. This was in a narrow by road. No signs whatsoever. Two of them behind each other. And they walked past me when it was over and they kept their heads down. But I stopped and I asked the guy... Why don't you have signs? 
Oh, he said, it's a, a small job. Well, I said, it's yeah. very dangerous coming around this corner and no signs up. Yeah, I mean, when we had Sergeant so uh, Trino Mahoney on, yeah, you need to be so careful at this time of the year. It isn't, yeah, I absolutely accept that. It's that could have been an accident. Yeah, that could have been an accident. Day, all know? right, all right, Mary, but you feel the thousand euro fine was a bit was a bit harsh. And what about the 500 for not having, for having the non-conforming number plates that young people now like to change the number plates and put kind of stylish ones on? Is that a bit harsh? 500 euro? Well, you know, if, if they want something stylish, maybe there should be something stylish available. Okay. Right. Yeah. Maybe that law needs to change. Yeah, I do think yeah, I do think 500 for a non-conforming number plate, I always think is just a little bit ridiculous. It just seems a little yeah. bit ridiculous. All yeah. right, listen, Mary, thank it's, you. for it's a bit of compassion in the judging. That's what I'm saying. Okay. You know. Okay. Put yourself in their shoes. Okay, you'd make a very compassionate yeah. judge. Listen, we'll yeah. leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Let me go to uh, Gwen, who wants to move to a different issue. And actually, a topic that we did address yesterday when we had the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, on the programme. Um, good afternoon, Gwen. Hi, how are you? You watched the. You know, I have to fess up and say, I didn't see this. This was the piece that was on prime time um, mm-hmm. about the. It was. Okay, but describe it as best you can. Uh, what, okay. what, was the, what was the scene? Um, it's fairly, well, it's, it's a horrific animal cruelty anyway to our Irish calves that we send out. They're unweaned Irish calves. They're two to four week old calves. They're seen as a byproduct or practically waste products that need to be getting rid of um, because of the dairy industry. They're Frisian, um, male Holstein calves, and, um, you know, there's no uh, monetary value in them. And they were selling in Bandon Mart for fifty cent, less than fifty cent there in March. And yeah, we did an interview waiting. on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, it's just I'm calling out to all. I'm trying to call out to all farmers and all public to watch the prime time investigates documentary. I've spoken to loads of people who actually ha- actually don't want to watch the video because it's so upsetting. But even to just describe it, the abuse. People at fault here are the cattle haulers and the transporters. Uh, who are transporting these calves from Rosslare to Cherbourg in France. And um, bu- abuse over there is so severe. They're beaten, kicked, punched. They're thrown on the ground, trodden on, and literally no food or water. Let's say they could go on a 50-hour 50, 50 journey, 18-hour um, um, sea voyage across on um, Stenaline ferries. The drinking water on, on board um, and... There's, there's no drinking facilities for the, the, the unweaned calves because they're too young on board. They're, like, they're newborn calves. And, like, in and where, do they, where do they end up, um, Gwen? So the whole thing is um, it, they end up for the veal industry. Um, Ireland is the biggest exporter of unweaned calves in Europe. That's 100,000 calves annually, 10,000 in Northern Ireland. And they bring them down. And we are the driving force behind the veal industry. Nobody wants to think about the veal industry either. It's sick, sick kind of um, um, fattening. They fatten um, calves and just keep them indoors in tiny, tiny um, pins for the whole for their whole lives, just so they, they they have tender muscles and they're not, um, you know, they don't exercise and stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's to keep the meat tender. Okay, I know. Just. Um, 
Michael Creed Michael Creed was on with us yesterday I don't know if mm-hmm. you heard him and I did put it to him because um, a listener had asked me because the programme had been on the, the previous mm-hmm. uh, the previous night Just this is just a, a, 50, a 50 second uh, piece yeah. of what Michael Creed had to say yesterday Well my view first of all is um, in terms of the video and I've seen it and it is appalling live exports is a critically important part of the agricultural industry in Ireland and I am a supporter of but I've always made the point I am a supporter of highly regulated welfare in this industry and have not compromised one iota, notwithstanding pressure from various quarters to do so. We operate a higher system of animal welfare regulations in the transport of cattle and calves than is the minimum requirement from the EU. And we do so because it's significantly more important to us. And I believe it is possible to have a highly regulated uh, animal welfare friendly live export trade and this department and I will have no truck with anybody who breaches those regulations but it must be said it must be said in the context of the recent video that was not involving um, Irish individuals See I felt he uh, explained it away by the fact that it was a French worker Mm -hmm. is videotaped so it's almost like well it isn't it didn't happen here, so it's not really mm-hmm. our problem. Even though he went on to say, you they're, know, he wants the full rigours of the law. Cows. They're all our, yeah. our animals on Irish soil. Twenty-three Irish livestock trucks involved. The like, it's it's animal cruelty first thing in the trucks that these calves don't have any drinking water for that amount of time going onto the ships for eighteen hour plus hours and and no food or rest until they get to France. And some sometimes they don't even get that. Um, Michael Creed makes it all sound lovely and great when he mentioned rules and regulations, we have all these guidelines, these welfare done by agriculture, uh, the Department of Agriculture and all this. Farmers on, on their farms comply with all these regulations to the best they can. But the minute they leave the farmyard, once they go on the cattle trucks, everyone knows, or it's kind of a hidden fact that, that farmers know there's no compliance with the, tra- the, with the cattle haulers and the uh, transporters, it's because the, the calves are, are seen as worth are they're less than 50 cents. As yeah, they're like, yeah. So and I know we, we heard in some cases the farmers had to pay when they brought them to the marsh because they, they made so little. OK, all right. Yeah. Uh, somebody says, oh, well, well done to, for yeah. Gwen for speaking up. Saw that video. It was absolutely yeah, barbaric. Just, just ask uh, farmers to just work. OK. Our animals actually end up and um, what happens to them. All right, your phone line is breaking up, so I'm going to leave Thank it there. You. Thank you for that, uh, Gwen. 1850 Some reaction to Mary, who contacted us, who felt that the fine that the young 21-year-old got for doing the donuts in Drina back in March, €1,000 fine for careless driving and a €500 fine for having non-conforming number plates on his car. Uh, hi, Patricia. I would suggest to Mary to talk to the victims of the inmates, says Pat. This was on the suggestion that people should go into... Should be that, Well, she was against jailing young people for getting involved in... Um, some like the the donuts um she felt that that would be way too uh, severe. Somebody else says cancel the insurance on the car because we are paying 
oh, I've had to cancel the insurance on the car because we are paying for those fools, the exact fools that Mary's talking about. I'm 45 years of age, paying €700 Euro for insurance and I have a clean sheet and we have to pay extra because we've got the likes of those young lads out doing and young girls. It isn't just guys, it's girls uh, as well. And someone, says, uh, someone else says, hi, is your last caller Mary for real? She obviously never got that terrible knock on the door with the awful news. Is it not better to give those lads a large fine and have them still alive if there were no consequences to their actions? Uh, they will continue and somebody mark my words somebody will end up uh, dead and a number of other people delighted to hear that the guards caught other young boy racers who were doing similar donuts in Killarney at the weekend and because it is ruining the rally for those of us that actually want to go and watch the rally those young drivers uh, make it worse for everyone. 1850 333 just wondering about the lady who joined you yesterday uh, who lost her grandson's um, I can't remember her name now. I know Rogie was the little fella. She lost her grandson's notebook with the grandson's poem in it. Did she find it? I don't know. I'll have to check in. Helen. It was Helen who joined us. I'll have to check in with John Paul and get John Paul to give Helen a call. But I certainly know by the time we finished on air. We didn't have anybody ring in to say they'd find it. So I don't, I don't know is, is the plain and simple answer. And yesterday also Michael joined us on the comment line and he was very frustrated about planning and he had submitted plans. I think he was only seven months at this stage waiting to get planning permission. He's trying to build a house on his own land and the planners were back three, four times coming back looking for additional information and then he finally got the planning permission and he had to put up the sign for the month in order for him to build the house and on the last day somebody's objected and now he's got to wait and it could take up to 18 weeks. So he was very, very frustrated. Some reaction to that. Hi Patricia, talk about planning. They gave permission for a house behind ours. It's like looking at the wall in Game of Thrones. They can actually see into our windows. It is horrific. We're even thinking of selling. What some of the planners get away with is unbelievable. They seem to be a law unto themselves. It is sickening. And Anne says, I can understand that man, Michael, who joined you yesterday. I can understand his pain. My son applied for planning permission to build on our own family farm, which he works on and he will one day inherit. He applied over 12 months ago. He has been refused on one occasion and has been given a list of impossible things that must be done before they'll even consider a fresh application and that's signed a very frustrated Anne. 1850 Can you get your pet questions into us please because coming up after uh, the break we've got Jane Pickett our resident vet joining us. If you want to text her WhatsApp you can to 086 with your pet question to 103 103. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the Feel Good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turn, turn, turn. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel Good Friday, only on C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
And our resident uh, vet, Jane Pickett from the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins me in studio. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. And you are very welcome. OK, let me get straight in because I want to go to an email and our apologies because this came in at the end of the slot last week and we just didn't get around to it. And it is signed by somebody who's under a lot of pressure at the moment with a little puppy dog. And it reads, uh, hi there. I have a new four month old puppy. It's a Cavishan male mixed between a Cavalier King Charles and a Bichon Frise. That she was in practice. It wasn't cheap. How often should I feed him? I've got gain sapling for puppies from the pet shop. Is it important to feed him in the morning or should I wait until later in the day? I'm finding it hard to toilet train him. When I take him out for a walk, he won't even go to the toilet, not even to have a quick pee. He's a very excitable dog, so I'm trying to get him to obey instructions. Should I get help from a professional trainer while he is still young or is it too soon at four months? of age. Thanks for all your help. From a dog lover who's waited a long time to get a dog. I'm living with my mum who isn't a doggy person and wants him to go back. There's a lot of pressure going on at home. Oh, you can mm. sense the tension. Absolutely. Okay, lol in there. What, what, what's right. your advice? Okay, I might take it question by question. I'll say, yeah. first of all, I might say it's a difficult old situation. It sounds like you're trying to do the very, very best for your dog under a lot of pressure. So well done. Um, I think initially on the feeding, for a four month old puppy, I'd say maybe three meals a day is appropriate. And I definitely feed them in the morning as well. We're saying, should we wait until later in the day? Yeah. It's like a little baby. They need a constant supply of energy at that stage. They're still growing they're super active um so yeah they do need small meals frequently so i'd say three meals at a minimum maybe a fourth snack okay. <laughs> if you have the time um as regard food choice i think if you're ever going to invest in their diet in the first two years of life is the time to do it that's when they're building their bone structure so they're laying down the skeleton that's going to be with them for the rest of their lives now puppy foods are really important i think i would always have a dog on puppy food until they're at least one year of age so a lot longer than we all think they should be on it is that puppy food that she's talking about i think so from what she's saying now i'm not 100 percent with that particular brand, brand of food. Yeah. It's not one I've come into contact with myself. What I would say is I would take the advice of your vet. Now, the important thing with puppy food is to make sure that it's good quality, okay? Speak to your vet about what options are out there. There's loads of different brands in the market. And what I would say is without naming any brands, there's good and bad out there. Okay. okay. Now, the really important thing is we want the level of the of the the calcium and the phosphorus, the two building blocks of bone, to be the perfect level in for that little puppy while it's laying down that bone. And there can actually be problems caused by having too much of those things as well as too little. So getting it just right is really important. Speak to your vet; they'll be able to recommend ones that are available in your area and that they know they trust. Okay. Okay. Um, moving on to the toilet training, I think kind of positive reinforcement is key here it can take a lot of patience particularly I know it's very stressful if you have other members of the family that maybe aren't 100% on board with there being a puppy around it can be really challenging what I would say is stick in there be consistent if you're struggling to get him to toilet train I would say give him every opportunity to do it as well as he can so take him out to the garden more than you ever think he'll ever need to go out give him every opportunity to get it right because the more he gets it right the more it's ingrained as a behaviour and then loads of praise when he loads goes to the toilet okay. make him feel like the best boy ever <laughs> yeah um, and lots of treats as well treats after he pees and poos is a really good idea and as well don't take him straight into the house after he does his business give him 30 seconds or a minute to lull around the garden because if we whip him straight back inside after he's done his business he'll kind of signal oh if I go and do my business then that means the end of playtime 
So leave him have a little run around the garden after he's done his bits and bobs and then take him back inside. So he doesn't think that it's the end of all the fun. Okay. Okay. Um, he's fierce excited and they're struggling to get him to obey instructions. I would say at four months of age, they're all fierce excited. Um, they are puppies. They're like little toddlers at that point. They're a, they're a bag of fun, but really challenging sometimes. Consistency and short bursts of training. I would never spend more than, let's say, three or four minutes at a time trying to train your puppy to sit or to lie down and really just focus on one or two commands like sit and stay or you know wait just very simple things don't try and be doing any kind of fancy tricks that can come later but they have a really short attention span they really are like a toddler so very short periods frequently throughout the day it's not too young to get a professional trainer involved okay. if that's a route you'd like to go down and it can certainly set you on the right track so it might be a really nice idea doggy classes is it doggy doggy classes yeah. particularly if you're feeling a little bit of pressure at home to, to make sure everything's right yeah. that might be no harm just to put your mind at rest a little bit Um. Yeah, I think yeah. they'll get so, on but just, the just hang in there and, and he yeah. will he will calm down. Yeah. And actually somebody's just WhatsApped me on photographs of two uh, Cavachons, nine months old. Uh, tell your listener this is what they will turn out to look like very soon. God, they're stunning yeah. looking dogs, they aren't are they? a beautiful breed. So they are. Are they really, intelligent? Really are they, you know, the way they some, some breeds so are more intelligent. They really, really are. They have a very intelligent breed mix in there. The Bichon Frise, they are little firecrackers. So they are, they're full of bags of energy and the Cavaliers, they're just the kindest little dogs. Yeah, so that, yeah, it's a, it's a good mix. Yeah. Uh, let's stay on feeding dogs. Anne says, is tinned dog food good or bad to mix in with dog nuts? My dogs won't eat the nuts unless there's some meat mixed in with it. Is that OK to do? I think that's fine. I think I would always have the main bit for the sake of their teeth being a hard food so that they can crunch away that plaque and keep those teeth nice and clean but my own dogs are the same if I'm totally honest yeah. um, my three dogs at home Margot, Sherry and Sally I have to mix in a little bit of wet food with their nuts the whole time just to give them the taste yeah. and then they'll gobble the food down but God forbid if I give them dry nuts they would not be happy yeah, about it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's common enough Eileen contacted us because she's having trouble with stray cats coming into her garden stealing her own cat's food and fighting with her own cats she's tried to keep her own in but as they used to be outside and fed outside they're not happy about staying indoors all the time her own cats are neutered well cared for but can our vet Jane suggest anything to get rid of the strays as they are a bother and they're now expecting kittens oh god they're still like they're feral cats right this is a big but also very common problem okay um, well done on making sure your own cats are neutered I think that's the biggie here just to prevent the cat population exploding even more but as you say the, the feral cats that are knocking around they might look like they are a little bit pregnant at the moment and, and that's an ongoing problem the cat population in the country is is huge because of that um, I think You've done really well trying to keep them indoors, but I understand your own cats need to lead their own life as well. And if they're used to being inside and outside, you don't want to mess up their routine. I think unless something changes, this is going to continue. Those feral cats are having a whale of a time stealing those cats' food. So I think the number one thing I would suggest is feed your cats inside. If you want to let them roam in and out, then that's grand. They'll probably still have some contact with the feral cats to begin with. But then you're taking away the source that's driving the feral cats into your that's area. That's the only so reason they're coming the in. Food. It's the they food, really yeah. want to get near the food. So if you can let your cats in and out as normal, let them do their own thing, but feed them inside. Mm. and do that really consistently for a period of time it will take a while but I think they may eventually peter Yeah because those feral cats are only around because they're looking for food source they'll move off somewhere else Depending on where you are maybe have a chat to um, 
have a little look. The names elude me at the moment, but um, there are other West Cork. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, Eileen is contacting us from Mallow. I don't know if there's any in, in Mallow. I know there's the one in in West Cork. It's fantastic, and they do the trap, neutral, yeah. release we, uh, scheme. We've done some recent work with um, a, a catch and release spay and neuter program. Um, in North Cork? Yeah, yeah, up here. Okay. So they are around. Okay. So maybe have a little Google online, contact yeah. those. Uh, if I anybody think, knows yeah. of, a, of a, a trap and uh, spay and, and uh, release, let us know and we'll certainly put you in contact with um, Eileen. But try that, Eileen. I do think that will work. Just get the food source away mm. and they will move mm-hmm. off. Jerry was on. He has a Yorkshire has to go to the vet. She's got a sore swollen or the anal glands very inflamed. She has nuts from the vet but they're not working. She had to go back again. What can Jane uh, recommend? Now this it's Yorkie. Is this, pre- this is prevalent with some breeds more than others, isn't it? It, it seems to be a little bit. Um, there's no kind of well-defined breeds that seem to have really, really bad problems with their anal glands but what I would say is it is, it is quite unfortunately a common problem and a lot of the time it can be related to diet so you're vet seems to have done an amazing job putting them on a diet and I would definitely carry on with that but it may not just be 100% doing the trick and in some of our patients it doesn't the diet that he will have been put on is most likely a high fibre diet that's so that there's just a bit more bulk moving through the bowel getting things moving and that helps to empty out the glands okay so I would definitely keep going with that don't lose faith yet but I suggest popping back to your vet for a reassessment Sometimes if we have, let's say, a build up of the contents of these anal glands and they get really full and sore for these little dogs, they can sometimes become infected. Okay, so it's important to just return to your vet to see if there's not a a problem on top of it more than the usual anal glands problem that might need some, let's say, antibiotics or testing to solve. So I think don't lose faith with the diet, but pop back to your vet for a reassessment. Okay, because if it happens once, is it likely to happen again? They can get very, very prone to it. Um, That's why dietary management is kind of the cornerstone for these little dogs. And finding a combination that works for your dog as well. This diet may not be particularly cutting it for your dog or they may have another problem on top of it. But it's important not to lose faith and to persevere with it. Um, It is really common. Some dogs have really, really difficult problems with their anal glands. I I have some clients that pop back to me every month or two, just empty them out as a precautionary measure to avoid any problems problems or pain because these poor little dogs it's very uncomfortable for them sometimes I think one of the main things that people would see if they're listening at home um, with anal gland problems is scooting the bottom along the floor yeah. so it's kind of sitting in a sitting position and walking the little front legs forward so they're just dragging their bottom along the floor and that's a sign that all may not be well there's, an, irrita- there. <laughs> there's an irritation yeah there's yeah. an irritation there and that's their way of kind of scratching at that area because yeah. it's not somewhere they can easily reach so if you notice that in your dog at any point it's best to pop to the vet and I, and I assume the earlier you get to the vet the better yeah, yeah absolutely I think to be honest for their welfare particularly because it is really uncomfortable sometimes um, if you do notice that behaviour in your dog or if they're particularly interested in their back end all of a sudden pop to your vet they'll empty the glands and assess them and um, some breeds more susceptible no none in in particular some I'd say what I would say is that very sedentary dogs spend a lot of time indoors and might be fed let's say a low fibre diet so Ah. we sometimes see it in the small lap dog breeds yeah but I think that's more lifestyle related rather than the breed so it is dietary related is is, is the key and uh, oh, and 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 I know uh, from a vet's point of view, it's not most, it's most horrible <laughs> jobs the vets have to do. I've got to leave it there. Thank you for that. Um, have a lovely week. We'll chat again next week. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing back tomorrow at ten. 
This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets Hit the streets Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie CorkCityMarathon.ie The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd with C103. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.